the Bible. From America's colonial period to her rise to become the richest, most powerful nation in history, the ideas and values that guide us, protect us, and hold our society together flow from the pages of this book of books. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Our founding documents affirm and build on the scriptural concepts of God-given, not state-granted rights, and of liberty under law. The biblical worldview shaped our work ethic, made education a priority, and birthed the notion of finite, limited government under divine authority. One nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. The pilgrims, the Puritans, the founding fathers and American leaders throughout our history have emphasized the Bible's importance to America. The first and almost the only book worthy of universal attention is the Bible. John Quincy Adams. But for the book, we cannot know right from wrong. All the things desirable to man are contained in it. Abraham Lincoln. The foundations of our society and our government rest so much on the teachings of the Bible that it would be difficult to support them if faith in these teachings would cease to be practically universal in our country. Calvin Coolidge. The Bible Live is your opportunity to listen to the Bible. A 15 to 20 minute reading every weeknight. The entire Bible every year. Now, here's the host of the Bible Live, your Apache Indian scout on this annual excursion through the Word, Soapy Dollar. All right. Thank you very much, Kevin Bell. Thank you, Brian, for being in the control room this evening. And thank you, folks, for making this journey through the Scriptures with us. It's so nice when you got partners along the road and we go along together. Tonight, we're going to start a brand new book. That's always a thrill when we finish up one book. We've just now finished reading the books of First and Second Chronicles in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, and now we come back for just a short season, but it's a wonderful time we're going to have this week in the New Testament book of Romans, the first of the Pauline epistles in the New Testament. We finished up the book of Acts as we see the planting of congregations and churches all over the first century empire of Rome. And we saw how the gospel, this revelation that God has given of himself as he steps into time and space in the person of the Messiah, the Savior, the Redeemer, the Promised One, long-awaited, described through prophecies and through all kinds of different ways in which the Messiah is foreseen, him and his work in the Old Testament Finally, it comes to pass. Jesus has come. He has carried out his work in his ministry, and he has ascended to the Father. The church has begun this new era of the Holy Spirit coming to dwell within, to walk with, to escort his his church, his people, through their time here on earth on into glory. So now we're going to pick up with Paul writing to these distinctive churches. Rome is a church Paul had never visited. He'd heard of the Church of Rome, but he had not yet been there, nor had any of the other apostles. So Paul is going to give to them the most complete presentation of the gospel message that he gives to any of the different congregations. Because he hadn't been there, Paul writes it out, and the book of Romans is outstanding for that reason. I'll give you a little bit more information about it as we come to the opening chapters of Romans. Right now, let's go to our Wisdom and Worship segment in the Proverbs tonight on the Bible Life. Proverbs 17, 1-14 
A dry crust eaten in peace is better than a great feast with strife. A wise slave will rule over the master's shameful sons and will share their inheritance. Fire tests the purity of silver and gold, but the Lord tests the heart. Wrongdoers listen to wicked talk. Liars pay attention to destructive words. Those who mock the poor insult their maker. Those who rejoice at the misfortune of others will be punished. Grandchildren are the crowning glory of the aged. Parents are the pride of their children. Eloquent speech is not fitting for a fool. Even less are lies fitting for a ruler. A bribe seems to work like magic for those who give it. They succeed in all they do. Disregarding another person's faults preserves love. Telling about them separates close friends. A single rebuke does more for a person of understanding than a hundred lashes on the back of a fool. Evil people seek rebellion, but they will be severely punished. It is safer to meet a bear robbed of her cubs than to confront a fool caught in folly. If you repay evil for good, evil will never leave your house. Beginning a quarrel is like opening a floodgate, so drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. End of reading, Proverbs 17, 1 through 14. This is my daily bread. This is my daily bread. Your very words spoken to me. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Turn to the book of Romans, this letter that was written in A.D. 57 from Corinth as Paul was preparing for his return to Jerusalem. He wrote the Romans a carefully presented statement of his faith. He had not been there, so he really lays it out in an organized way, though he does include an extensive set of greetings at the end of the book as well. The book of Romans, Romans 1.1 through 4.25, Romans 1. This letter is from Paul, Jesus Christ's slave chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. This good news was promised long ago by God through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. It is the good news about his son Jesus who came as a man, born into King David's royal family line. And Jesus Christ our Lord was shown to be the Son of God when God powerfully raised him from the dead by means of the Holy Spirit. Through Christ, God has given us the privilege and authority to tell Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them, so that they will believe and obey Him, bringing glory to His name. You are among those who have been called to belong to Jesus Christ, dear friends in Rome. God loves you dearly, and He has called you to be His very own people. May grace and peace be yours from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me say first of all that your faith in God is becoming known throughout the world. How I thank God through Jesus Christ for each one of you. God knows how often I pray for you. Day and night I bring you and your needs in prayer to God, whom I serve with all my heart by telling others the good news about His Son. One of the things I always pray for is the opportunity, God willing, to come at last to see you. For I long to visit you so I can share a spiritual blessing with you that will help you grow strong in the Lord. I'm eager to encourage you in your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. In this way, each of us will be a blessing to the other. 
I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to visit you, but I was prevented until now. I want to work among you and see good results, just as I have done among other Gentiles. For I have a great sense of obligation to people in our culture and to people in other cultures, to the educated and uneducated alike. So I am eager to come to you in Rome, too, to preach God's good news. For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, Jews first and also Gentiles. This good news tells us how God makes us right in His sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. But God shows His anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who push the truth away from themselves. For the truth about God is known to them instinctively. God has put this knowledge in their hearts. From the time the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky and all that God made. They can see clearly His invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse whatsoever for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship Him as God, or even give Him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. The result was that their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they became utter fools instead. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people, or birds and animals and snakes. So God let them go ahead and do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. Instead of believing what they knew was the truth about God, they deliberately chose to believe lies. So they worshipped the things God made, but not the Creator Himself, who is to be praised forever. Amen. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relationships with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men and, as a result, suffered within themselves the penalty they so richly deserved. When they refused to acknowledge God, He abandoned them to their evil minds and let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, fighting, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They are forever inventing new ways of sinning and are disobedient to their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises, and are heartless and unforgiving. They are fully aware of God's death penalty for those who do these things, Yet they go right ahead and do them anyway. And worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Romans 2. You may be saying, what terrible people you have been talking about. But you are just as bad, and you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself. For you do these very same things. And we know that God in His justice will punish anyone who does such things. Do you think that God will judge and condemn others for doing them and not judge you when you do them too? Don't you realize how kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Or don't you care? Can't you see how kind He has been in giving you time to turn from your sin? But no, you won't listen. 
So you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself because of your stubbornness in refusing to turn from your sin. For there is going to come a day of judgment when God, the just judge of all the world, will judge all people according to what they have done. He will give eternal life to those who persist in doing what is good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. But he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth and practice evil deeds. There will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on sinning, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. But there will be glory and honor and peace from God for all who do good, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. God will punish the Gentiles when they sin, even though they never had God's written law. And He will punish the Jews when they sin, for they do have the law. For it is not merely knowing the law that brings God's approval. Those who obey the law will be declared right in God's sight. Even when Gentiles who do not have God's written law instinctively follow what the law says, they show that in their hearts they know right from wrong. They demonstrate that God's law is written within them, for their own consciences either accuse them or tell them they are doing what is right. The day will surely come when God, by Jesus Christ, will judge everyone's secret life. This is my message. If you are a Jew, you are relying on God's law for your special relationship with Him. You boast that all is well between yourself and God. Yes, you know what He wants. You know right from wrong because you have been taught His law. You are convinced that you are a guide for the blind and a beacon light for people who are lost in darkness without God. You think you can instruct the ignorant and teach children the ways of God. For you are certain that in God's law you have complete knowledge and truth. Well then, if you teach others, why don't you teach yourself? You tell others not to steal, but do you steal? You say it is wrong to commit adultery, but do you do it? You condemn idolatry, but do you steal from pagan temples? You are so proud of knowing the law, but you dishonor God by breaking it. No wonder the scriptures say the world blasphemes the name of God because of you. The Jewish ceremony of circumcision is worth something only if you obey God's law. But if you don't obey God's law, you are no better off than an uncircumcised Gentile. And if the Gentiles obey God's law, won't God give them all the rights and honors of being His own people? In fact, uncircumcised Gentiles who keep God's law will be much better off than you Jews who are circumcised and know so much about God's law, but don't obey it. For you are not a true Jew just because you were born of Jewish parents or because you have gone through the Jewish ceremony of circumcision. No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision is not a cutting of the body but a change of heart produced by God's Spirit. Whoever has that kind of change seeks praise from God, not from people. You're listening to The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. Romans 3 Then what's the advantage of being a Jew? Is there any value in the Jewish ceremony of circumcision? Yes, being a Jew has many advantages. First of all, the Jews were entrusted with the whole revelation of God. True, some of them were unfaithful, but just because they broke their promises, does that mean God will break His promises? Of course not. Though everyone else in the world is a liar, God is true. As the scriptures say, He will be proved right in what He says, and He will win His case in court. 
But, some say, our sins serve a good purpose, for people will see God's goodness when He declares us sinners to be innocent. Isn't it unfair, then, for God to punish us? That is actually the way some people talk. Of course not. If God is not just, how is He qualified to judge the world? But, some might still argue, how can God judge and condemn me as a sinner if my dishonesty highlights His truthfulness and brings Him more glory? If you follow that kind of thinking, however, you might as well say that the more we sin, the better it is. Those who say such things deserve to be condemned. Yet some slander me by saying, this is what I preach. Well then, are we Jews better than others? No, not at all. For we have already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. As the scriptures say, no one is good, not even one. No one has real understanding. No one is seeking God. All have turned away from God. All have gone wrong. No one does good, not even one. Their talk is foul, like the stench from an open grave. Their speech is filled with lies. The poison of a deadly snake drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They are quick to commit murder. Wherever they go, destruction and misery follow them. They do not know what true peace is. They have no fear of God to restrain them. Obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given, for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to bring the entire world into judgment before God. For no one can ever be made right in God's sight by doing what His law commands. For the more we know God's law, the clearer it becomes that we aren't obeying it. But now God has shown us a different way of being right in His sight, not by obeying the law, but by the way promised in the Scriptures long ago. We are made right in God's sight when we trust in Jesus Christ to take away our sins. And we all can be saved in this same way, no matter who we are or what we have done. For all have sinned, all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet now God in His gracious kindness declares us not guilty. He has done this through Christ Jesus, who has freed us by taking away our sins. For God sent Jesus to take the punishment for our sins and to satisfy God's anger against us. We are made right with God when we believe that Jesus shed His blood, sacrificing His life for us. God was being entirely fair and just when He did not punish those who sinned in former times. And He is entirely fair and just in this present time when He declares sinners to be right in His sight because they believe in Jesus. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on our good deeds. It is based on our faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. After all, God is not the God of the Jews only, is He? Isn't He also the God of the Gentiles? Of course He is. There is only one God, and there is only one way of being accepted by Him. He makes people right with Himself only by faith, whether they are Jews or Gentiles. Well then, if we emphasize faith, does this mean that we can forget about the law? Of course not. In fact, only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law. You're listening to The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. Romans 4. Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. What were his experiences concerning this question of being saved by faith? 
Was it because of his good deeds that God accepted him? If so, he would have had something to boast about. But from God's point of view, Abraham had no basis at all for pride. For the scriptures tell us Abraham believed God, so God declared him to be righteous. When people work, their wages are not a gift. Workers earn what they receive, but people are declared righteous because of their faith, not because of their work. King David spoke of this, describing the happiness of an undeserving sinner who is declared to be righteous. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose sin is no longer counted against them by the Lord. Now then, is this blessing only for the Jews, or is it for Gentiles too? Well, what about Abraham? We have been saying he was declared righteous by God because of his faith. But how did his faith help him? Was he declared righteous only after he had been circumcised, or was it before he was circumcised? The answer is that God accepted him first, and then he was circumcised later. The circumcision ceremony was a sign that Abraham already had faith and that God had already accepted him and declared him to be righteous, even before he was circumcised. So Abraham is the spiritual father of those who have faith but have not been circumcised. They are made right with God by faith. And Abraham is also the spiritual father of those who have been circumcised, but only if they have the same kind of faith Abraham had before he was circumcised. It is clear then that God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was not based on obedience to God's law, but on the new relationship with God that comes by faith. So if you claim that God's promise is for those who obey God's law and think they are good enough in God's sight, then you are saying that faith is useless. And in that case, the promise is also meaningless. But the law brings punishment on those who try to obey it. The only way to avoid breaking the law is to have no law to break. So that's why faith is the key. God's promise is given to us as a free gift, and we are certain to receive it whether or not we follow Jewish customs, if we have faith like Abraham's. For Abraham is the father of all who believe. That is what the scriptures mean when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who brings into existence what didn't exist before. When God promised Abraham that he would become the father of many nations, Abraham believed him. God had also said, Your descendants will be as numerous as the stars, even though such a promise seemed utterly impossible. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though he knew that he was too old to be a father at the age of 100, and that Sarah, his wife, had never been able to have children. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this he brought glory to God. He was absolutely convinced that God was able to do anything he promised, and because of Abraham's faith, God declared him to be righteous. Now this wonderful truth that God declared him to be righteous wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was for us too, assuring us that God will also declare us to be righteous if we believe in God, who brought Jesus our Lord back from the dead. He was handed over to die because of our sins, and he was raised from the dead to make us right with God. End of reading, Romans 1, 1 through 4.25. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound 
that Honestly, like you will be hard put to find five chapters of the Bible more packed with important, essential understandings about God and His ways than these opening chapters of the book of Romans. Most likely, the Roman church had been established by believers who had been at Jerusalem, perhaps during the time of Pentecost, described in Acts chapter 2, and by other travelers who had heard the good news in other places and had brought it back to Rome. For example, we've already met Priscilla and Aquila. Remember those two who left Rome under persecution And Paul met them in Corinth in Acts chapter 18. Paul wrote this letter to the Romans during his ministry there in Corinth at the end of his third missionary journey just before returning to Jerusalem. He's writing to encourage these believers to express his deep desire to visit them someday, to have some kind of ministry in their lives. Within three years, he would visit them. Not the way he thought. This would be an all-expense-paid journey paid by the Roman government The Roman church had no New Testament because the Gospels were not yet being circulated in their final written form. Thus, this letter may well have been the first piece of Christian literature that would explain to them in a more extensive, more complete way the consequences of the coming of Messiah than anything they had seen to that time. It's written both to Jewish and Gentile believers. You can see that as it opens up in chapter 1. We see Paul talking not from a religious point of view, but from the broad general point of view of God's universal revelation to all people. Paul starts way back, even pre-Jewish revelation, to the time of general revelation when God had revealed himself to all of humanity. We see that referenced in the founding documents of our country. It talks about God and the God of nature and providence. General revelation in the world around us, the sun, the moon, the stars, the seasons, and the world within us. Self-awareness and our longings for that spiritual realm. And then, of course, our longing for morality, good and evil. Well, there you have it, the opening of this amazing book, this letter written to the believers there in Rome. As you can see in the book of Romans as well, it's written almost from a legal point of view, a perspective. It's not a typical personal letter with names and all, although he does give a greeting at the end of the letter, but it's like an outline of many of Paul's sermons and presentations, I think. You're going to see themes of original sin, sin nature, redemption, justification, regeneration, sanctification, glorification, faith. The theme of faith here is so strong. Not faith in faith, but faith in God and His truth, His revealed truth to us. Reconciliation, peace with God, You're going to see a lot of the theological, and they come out of the legal terminology, to be accurate, a lot of theological presentation. See you next time. With Soapy Dollar, Soapy reads from the New Living Translation by Kindle House Publishers. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping promote spiritual revival across America, and your prayers and financial support are needed. Please mail your tax-deductible gift to the Bible Live Post Office Box 18888. That's the Bible Live P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas 78218. You may also make credit card donations at the ministry website, thebiblelive.com. Now don't forget, join us each weekday for the Bible Live with Soapy Dollars. 
start today and in one year's time, we will read and respond together to the entire Bible. Let the most important word you hear each day be God's word.